0: From the Denver Convention Center in the Mile High City. It's Tips Today in Public Safety. Brought to you by Nina, the 911 Association, and APN, the Avaya Podcast Network. Now, here's your host, ENP Mark Fletcher.
1: Hey, it's Fletcher with the Avaya Podcast Network. Welcome to Tips Today in Public Safety. We're here at the NINA 2015 convention at the Denver Convention Center in Denver, Colorado. We're sitting down with Alex Kryline, who's a managing partner of Entropy, a security educational research firm based here out of Denver uh, that works on application security. Welcome to the podcast, Alex. Thanks,
2: Fletch. I appreciate you having me. Yeah. So, uh, so tell us exactly what you guys do. Yeah. So we are... Uh, a Great company, I tend to think, out of Denver, Colorado. Um, and we focus on training and education for people to help them get much better at information security. It's a really hard field to get into, and you can be really smart and savvy, but not maybe tactical, right? Nobody taught you how to do certain things. So we are a company of uh, researchers, ed- educators, and entrepreneurs who are focusing on tackling problems in information security. So the two we do is training and education over a five-month course where we really focus on some serious problems in cryptography and network security and everything else. And then separately, we run one of the country's only information security startup accelerators. So we're getting startups from all over the country who are wanting to come and work with us uh, and go through our program and get get their customers on the other end.
1: Yeah, so you're looking at
2: application security, right? All the time. And that's a that's a really big focus for me. So my background has been at Department of Homeland Security and National Institutes of Standards and Technology, and I focus mostly on mobile application security, mobile networks, and specifically in the vein of the national security community. So I've got a pretty deep background in it, and uh, got out recently and started my company, and wanted to come to Nina because they're the leaders in the space. You know, they understand. The national security and public safety community probably better than almost any other well
1: I'll tell you when I get the 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 Nina executive director and the Nina number one legal guy walking up to me yeah. with you in tow <laughs> going, you've got to talk to this guy in a podcast that's pretty good credibility walking in the front door
2: all right well you know security guys are not about paying for anything so <laughs> That was that was easy. How much did that cost you? Yeah, it's it's undisclosed. I see. I see. So you really impressed them with with your presentation. Thank you. What did
1: you what did you say that was so shocking?
2: Yeah, so, you know, there's a big public safety mobile app space, but it's not huge, right? So, you know, if you look on Google Play and iTunes, there's Literally hundreds of thousands of millions of mobile applications, right? I think I saw something that there are more mobile apps now that are publicly available than there are stars in our stars in our galaxy. Oh, wow So that's amazing Um, but there's a small subset that focus on public safety and There's a lot of people in the public safety community specifically who are developing them for themselves which is great because they understand the requirements the problem is is that they're very likely not trained in security. Right. So we started doing an analysis of public safety mobile applications. We looked on a leading public safety mobile app marketplace called appcom.org. And what we will find when you look on AppCom is a lot of the applications are not running almost any cryptography. And many of the applications that are using cryptography for, like, transport layer security or HTTPS, which are just commonplace things that we just do now as a society, their applications aren't. And many of them, in fact, at least 30 we found, uh, are still susceptible to Heartbleed, which is a very widely publicized known vulnerability, came out about a year, year and a half ago, uh, and it's based off of the OpenSSL library, which is a cryptographic library that's open source. So let me ask you, Alex, what kind of apps are, are out there that are vulnerable? I mean, what do they what do the apps actually do? Yeah, so some of the applications will enable real-time communications between first responders. Okay. I prefer not to give names because I don't want people to go out and you know f- use them as exploits. But what we find is they either enable real-time communication using voice or some sort of other web-based communication uh, to enable people to find each other or find themselves. So So somebody's built an app that's public safety-centric that lets them collaborate at some various different levels. That's really what it is. It's mostly about collaboration for them. Okay. Yeah, and so a lot of them are using open source libraries. But there's this story of, uh, I think it's everybody, nobody, someone and someone else. And basically the thing is is it gets down to you've got these open source projects and everybody was able to do something but no one did anything and everyone was angry about it. And this is exactly functionally what <laughs> has been enabled for public safety is everybody needs these and everybody's available to build them but nobody really knows how to do them right. And only someone, who's me, was really frustrated about it, so we told everyone. Uh, And, you know, we might get in some trouble for this, but that's the fun part. Well,
1: yeah, and I think, you know, with with the whole BYOD... You know, epic that, that yeah. goes on. You know, you could be bringing something into work, and corporate enterprises fight this all day long. You could have your your users, your employees, bringing something in to the corporate in- environment because you've allowed their personal device on your network as somewhat semi-trusted. Yep. Now it's all this how this other stuff sneaks in.
2: That's totally right. And for public safety, most of them are using their own personal devices most of the time, even in mission-critical environments, right? Because oftentimes, while they may not be necessarily as Reliable as the $4,000 P25 device that they all carry, they're much more user friendly
1: and functionally Absolutely. equivalent.
2: So, you know, basically, you've got an organization who puts up this app store to encourage people to download apps on their personal devices for work. They don't screen the apps for security, they don't enable any kind of dynamic or static mobile applications testing, and then they go beyond that. They don't even run you know, basic cryptography on the website from which you're logging in with a username and password, where it's pushing cookies out to your device. Uh, it's, it's, it's literally the worst practices guide of what not to do if you wanted to help a national security community um, but they're the only game in town and they do great work as an organization it's this one specific instance where they failed and so it's very important that they fix it yeah
1: and, and again th- this could become a national security issue Ah, absolutely right as, as somebody starts you know you get into a, a computer that's got access to cgis or something and yeah you know um Yeah, this has got to scare the hell out of you as a DHS guy.
2: Yeah, totally, right? So, like, here's a good example. More more than I scare the hell out of you? Yeah, I mean, you're pretty friendly. (laughs) But a really good example here is uh, containerization. So this is just a word that's oftentimes thrown around. So I'll give you an example. In the iOS device suite, um, you know, applications cannot talk to each other directly. Okay. Right? So they're containerized on some level. Now, you can break this. You can but it costs you a lot of money to do it. In the Android suite, that's not the case. Applications can talk directly to each other, and a lot of that's for convenience reasons. So your calendar can talk to your contacts, can talk to your Facebook, can talk to yada, yada, yada. The problem with the public safety environment is that one application has the ability to go rogue and completely compromise all of the mission-critical applications. Now that's the high-stakes environment that this unique subset of Americans live in. And this is why this problem is so pernicious and important that they solve. So just promoting more applications can't be possibly the way to go about this, right? More is not necessarily better, and and functionally that's what we've done. So focusing on quality and enforcing at least any level of policy-based security would clear a number of hurdles for the lowest possible attacker.
1: Uh, no, that, that's, that's pretty interesting. So that, that's where entropy is really finding, carving out its own niche.
2: Yeah. So our, our company is really focused on research and finding, uh, you know, new vulnerabilities and new exploitation techniques and then teaching people how to avoid them, right? Whether that's through one of our five-month courses where we take people who are sysadmins or we take people who have a basic understanding of networking or they like to do development and they do programming, we teach them about security, Or the other thing that we do is we work with corporations and organizations, and we help them find talent and products that they need. Um, It's a hard game. There's not a lot of people who are focused on uh, trying to not just get cash for themselves, which is what a lot of people in security do, and I love them for it. But we got to start raising all boats.
1: So, I mean, what's the environment? Is it an online classroom environment? Do people come out here to Denver? How do you do this? Yeah,
2: so we're going to start one of our first classes in September and they come out to Denver. We're going to have 5,000 square feet in North Denver, cool lab environment. Wow. We'll do capture the flag exercises. Uh, we're going to do red teaming and blue teaming, but we're also going to have world-class instructors—people who focus in their careers in cryptography, people who focus in their careers in network security. We'll have some of the best minds in the country who come out and lecture. Uh, and it's a, you know, legit series program. It's not like some code boot camp. Um, and we're getting, you know, applications together for students, and we're already almost oversubscribed. <laughs> it's a huge so, demand.
1: So how do you how do you validate yourself uh, yeah. to to your to your perspective?
2: Students? Totally. Well, thankfully, I'm not teaching any of the classes. Well, there you uh, go. <laughs> so, <laughs> no, neither uh, am I. Yeah, right? So there you go. That's no, two great reasons to go. Uh, so a couple ways we do this is uh, we bring in people who are luminaries, just people who you're going to read anyway. Uh, we also bring in folks who are, you know, leaders in offensive security, people who have a real background and make a living off of being excellent at this. So you know, we can validate ourselves to a large extent. We've got world-class cryptographers and ethical hackers, um, and we are. We also have people who, you know, build massive cloud infrastructure instances for mission critical environments. But at the end of the day, it's really about the teacher and we've got some great instructors.
1: You know, I heard somebody say just a couple of weeks ago, the biggest security flaw in all devices is the headphone jack.
2: Yeah, it's huge, right? Actually, I think the biggest security flaw on all devices is the user. Um, (laughs) Well, yeah. Especially when it's somebody like me. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) No, you look fine. Uh, There are some (laughs) other suspicious characters. But no, I mean, the headphone jack is actually a really interesting way to get in, right? Because you're functionally sending information in binary because it's electrical output. Yep. Um, And, you know, most... You know, most of system security uh, it doesn't focus on that. That's not where their heads at. They're focused on, you know, malware, executables, uh, you know, downloading or sideloading of of information or I mean of applications, root kitting the device. Uh, but there's some seriously low level attacks, right? At the end of the day, everything is always susceptible to brute force. Sure. What's the port on the bottom of the
1: phone? Is that a serial connection? Do you even know?
2: It depends on the manufacturer for an iPhone. It used to be like I think it was a thirty-two prong port. Uh, but that's proprietary, and you know it's for a lot of reasons that that on the iOS device that that works optimally for their hardware. Um, you know, generally we don't see a lot of people trying to come in through a physical door like that. You know, most of what people try and do is you know, get you to do a link redirect. They fish you. They hit yeah. you with a the URL. They export you to some other website. Some JavaScript starts running, and it you know installs something on your device, or they take these cascading functionalities. My favorite one though is this thing called colluding applications, and this is kind of terrifying. You take an exploit. That's a whole exploit, functionally. Imagine putting a piece of paper through a shredder, and the exploit gets you know, cut into small pieces. Not necessarily a million, think about three or four. And if you have a signature-based security system that's looking for the signature of that specific exploit and the exploit is cut into a number of pieces, it no longer exists in the eyes of that signature-based security system. So what ends up happening is you you get a part of it on two or three devices, on two or three applications on one device, and then you set a trigger. It's like walking a bomb into a building one piece at a time right? At the end of the day, the bomb's still in the building and you just need to trigger the explosion. And that's functionally what ends up happening here. So in very advanced persistent threats, what we're seeing through the best reporting data from FireEye and Palo Alto networks, from Vericode and WebRoot, um, you know, and a number of other companies is these very specific attack vectors that, that high, highly motivated attackers will use. And our concern is that public safety is the perfect environment for this. For People who want to cause chaos, if that's their motivation. The easiest thing that they could do is to shut the phones off, and sure. you know we've now enabled a perfect channel with you know the low level of security. I mean, almost insecurity with Appcom.org um, and with others like the just the general Google Play Store or the general iTunes market. Um, you know, to enable that, the real value that Appcom has is the ability to curate the marketplace. But if they're starting from a place of insecurity then what they're curating is only equally insecure, you know, devices, applications. Yeah,
1: no, absolutely. That's, that's interesting. Um, it's a brave new world out
2: there, man. It's scary, but it's cool. Well, it's a good opportunity (laughs) for
1: people like yourself.
2: I think so. I think it's also a good opportunity for people who want to make an important difference in the marketplace, right? Which is what we hope out of our students is that we get people who want to trade up. They want to, you know, really level up to a big challenge. Uh, increase their salary significantly, like luck- knuckling on a hard problem. Uh, they'll always be around, right? Because you're selling antibiotics. You're not selling vitamins. Everybody yep. gets colds at some point. Sure. Uh, and so we hope to enable them with world-class education. Um, and, you know, frankly, you know, there's a lot of companies out there who we, we love working with. Avaya being one of them. So thank thank you for your opportunity on the podcast. But then beyond that, it's appreciated.
1: Yeah, no, it's great. It's uh, you know we've worked together in the past on some DHF stuff. And, yeah. Uh, you know, it's uh, it's funny how there's a there's a no matter how far you reach out in this industry, there's this little core niche of people that totally. seem to be orbiting each other's right. And That's it's, totally right. And it's it's kind of interesting. It's to watch. a
2: small community, and w- it's one of the things that I like about it in terms of security. Uh, because you get to know people. You can make real personal connections with people. You know Whether that personal connection is on the other side of an SSH box <laughs> on a command line, or if that interpersonal connection is with somebody at a conference like this, It's a great community of interesting, smart, dedicated people.
1: Yeah, and at the end of the day, you still got social engineering that's really one of the
2: biggest holes that I'm not sure you can block with technology. Yeah, I mean, there's some great products out there, right? Like FishMe, awesome product. They just basically send you a whole bunch of emails that are actually phishing attack, but they're controlled by this organization. And then you get to find out who's weak and who's not, and you get to train people based off of that.
1: Well, that's an interesting thought about that, Fish yourself.
2: Yeah, I mean, that's a good, it's a good best practice that people should look at. That is identify yourself as the vulnerability. Now that you realize you are the vulnerability, what would you do to you? Yeah. At the very least, we could start with that.
1: I mean, I got I got nailed a couple years ago. Hey, Fletch, check this
2: picture out that I caught of you. And totally. I, and I clicked it. What was the picture? Nothing. No, <laughs> no. No, no. I mean, it's it's super simple to no, do that. No, but what
1: it got me to do is got me to, got me to
2: log into LinkedIn. Yeah. And then all of a sudden. There goes your auth password, right? Yeah, I mean, so what's interesting is that a lot, you know, the really easy low bar attack vector here is to try and just fish a whole bunch of people. Okay cuz just the law of large numbers tells me that I'm going to find somebody who's stupid and they're going to click on it and then when they do I try and grab their credential sure and so once I have their credential now I am you to the computer network exactly yeah and so then you know that's how we compromise databases so Anthem's a good example you know that company did a lot in security and part of their breach according to the open source information is a systems administrator who's a database admin got his you know credential pinched um, ICANN, uh, you know, they, they were compromised and root DNS servers were partially because you know, their credentials were compromised. This is just classically what ends up happening is we rely on these security products like PKI or certificates or you know, wh- wh- whatever you want to call identity management as a way of ensuring that the people are who they say they are. But if that becomes a thing that's compromised, then, you know, basically you've just helped the attacker. Yeah. The same way the VPNs aren't really security between, you know, on, on a mobile device. It's securing the communications link, right, the transport network, which is great. But if I've got malware on that device, that VPN just enabled a secure connection for my malware back into their network.
1: Yeah, yeah, exactly. I don't think people understand that. They think that, you know, they think they once they fire that up, the VPN, they, they've put on the... Uh, you know, whatever, right? The raincoat, that the secret raincoat yeah. that protects them, and all they've done is just created a, a, a tunneled environment no, for that
2: app. That's exactly right, and and it's a tunneled, trusted environment, and that you know operates behind the firewall, uh, you know, mostly, almost always, right. But beyond that, and this is kind of the interesting part, it's also oftentimes unmonitored uh, by by network security. Well, because businesses. it's assumed trusted, it is. It is. And so this is the real big problem with BYOD, of course, and you know, people throw around words and phrases like that. But at the end of the day, the real problem is that we haven't trained users particularly well. Um, and whether those users are the actual user of the device, or whether that's a network admin, or whether that's a system admin, or somebody who works in a network operations center, uh, we have to train those people, because they're the ones that write the rules for computers who enable the functionality uh, that you know the, the human wrote. So.
1: What about new networking technologies like shortest path bridging that uses MAC and MAC encapsulation totally. and makes the network disappear? Yeah,
2: from you know, it, is that the right is that the right path to travel down? I think it actually is. I think it's really smart and can be trusted to an extent. Of course, you know, there's not quite frankly enough data about how attackers attack that type of architecture yet. Um, same way in software defined networking, right? So I actually like SDN. I think SDN is a is a wonderful type of articulation of a new network architecture. You know, it's not crazy new, it is if you read the marketing sheets. Sure. The thing that's important about it though is that you have the ability to turn the entire network into a monitoring system. Right? Because you just have these nodes on the network and the controller does the work. Um, And you write, you know, different programming, you know, for the controller to take certain types of functionality. Uh, It's great for optimizing architecture, of course. That's the reason why it exists. But it's also really interesting for security, right? Imagine a world in which you get people who are able to write code and build boxes that are able to address a user going through the network through a flow. The same way that they could do gate analysis on somebody who's a potential attacker, right? That, that's cool functionality that will at some point be enabled by SDN. Um, and, you know, new technologies, of course, bring new risks. You compromise the controller, it's game over. I, I just pwned your network. Um, you know, of course, there's redundancy that you can put, in, you know, put, put into the network to ensure that that can't just happen. It's a lot easier to say these things than it is sure. to do these things.
1: Well, yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, and you know, I'm not a big networking guy. I know enough to get me in trouble, but when I look at, you know, the really smart guys explain Mac and Mac encryption and turn yeah. the entire network into a flat layer two, yeah. right, where you don't see the, the if the the way they describe it to me, the network disappears. Therefore, that you cannot hack the network because you can't see it. Now, even even stupid me can understand that. Yeah. So that's got to be cool. That's got to have some merit in there.
2: Yeah. I mean, I, I think, you know, a couple of things to consider whenever you're approached with any new kind of technology. I think the reality is that the moment it's invented is the last time it was completely secure. Right? <laughs> so that's, that's, the, that's the first thing. And the second thing is, you know, it's all about risk. Because if, if you've got a vulnerability somewhere way back in your network… Um, Someone can identify the vulnerability, but can they exploit it? I mean, maybe, maybe not. Right. You know, if I've got a vuln sitting back by multiple firewalls, intrusion detection systems, you know, I've natted, uh, you know, my network, so I've hidden a lot of the topology, and and then it's just sitting out there on a non-mission-critical environment. But it cost me a couple hundred thousand dollars to mitigate. Was that a good use of my money? I, I guess it's a. It depends on a case by case example. Yeah, you gotta do the ROI. But each. you can't you can't treat everything equally, right? right? Yeah. That's why we focus first on risk analysis. Second, got to focus on threat intelligence analysis. And then after that, once you've identified your vulnerabilities, you got to map back to those things. And you got to think through, okay, what's, what's really the likelihood here that an attacker is going to find a vulnerability in my network? Now, this is the real concern for mobile apps is we're basically advertising honeypots at this point for public safety because we're saying, hey, all these guys are using their personal devices. Hey, here's this website that's not running any security that's promoting public safety mobile apps. Hey, there's no curation for security in these public safety mobile apps. Well, that was easy.
1: Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, I gotta hook you up with a guy at Avaya named Ed Kohler. Right on. And uh, let me tell you, you guys, you guys can go off and have a real brainiac conversation. I love that.
2: Nerds are my people. Yeah.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Talking to Alex Kryline, who is a managing partner of Entropy, Denver-based security education and research firm. Working on some pretty cool stuff. Thanks, Fletch. Thanks Appreciate for sitting it. down with
0: us. The preceding podcast has been brought to you by the Avaya Podcast Network. Executive producer, Jean Turgeon, a.k.a. JT. Our program and creative director is Fletch. And the APN legal correspondent is attorney Martha Byer. Be sure to follow us on Twitter at avaya underscore APN. And visit avaya.com slash APN on the web, where you can download all of our content. For the Avaya Podcast Network, this is Spider Harrison, the official voice dude of APN. The preceding content is copyrighted by the Avaya Podcast Network. Broadcast or retransmission is permitted with attribution. Your actual mileage may vary. Batteries are not included. I'm a professional announcer on a closed course. Do not try this at home.